So last week we started this series, Streetlights, where we're talking about Jesus' call on our lives to, to be a light. He said to us, you are the light of the world. And that light He intended for us to let it shine all the time, to shine brightly, to be visible. We talked last week that He wants us to be that light everywhere we go, that we are to be the lights distributed across our city and across our region. In fact, we said last week, everywhere you are, the church is, because you are the church. And we were reminded last week as we began this that uh, shining our light, being a light, is the greatest adventure in faith that any of us will ever experience in life. And God's invited us to be part of that. Well, today I think there is another lesson I'd like to focus in on from the uh, street light that I talked about last week. Uh, if you weren't here last week, I uh, pointed out that the street light that uh, shines outside of our bedroom window doesn't work properly. In fact, most of the night it is off and occasionally it comes on dimly and once in a while really bright, but most of the time it just doesn't work. And I said, I think that's a lot like the way we often shine our light for Jesus. We're dim once in a while and sometimes we come on really brightly, but most of the time we choose just to turn the light off. And so we're working through some things that maybe could bring some repair work to the way that we shine our light. Here's another thing I noticed about the street light outside of my bedroom. It is securely, firmly anchored in my yard, like all street lights are. You know, they're anchored in the ground. And it was put there by someone with the intention that it would give light to the people who live right around that light. Has it ever dawned on you that maybe God has planted you right in the house or the apartment or the condo or the rental unit that you live in? Because He intended for you to be a light to those people who live right around you. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, He said to His followers, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, again, that's that reminder. Remember where we ended up last week? We ended up last week by saying that when He calls us to be a light, He doesn't ask us to do it by ourselves. He does it with us. And part of the way that He does that is through the Holy Spirit in our lives. Then he says to his followers, you will be my witnesses, which is just another terminology for I want you to be my light. And then he goes on to say this, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, I think he models an important principle there. And let me give you a little a brief geography lesson so that we understand this principle. He begins there by saying, I want you to be a witness in Jerusalem. I'll abbreviate. That's a city. He says, that's where I want you to start. You start right there in that city. Now, Jerusalem is located in a region called Judea. So he says, I want you to be a witness in your city, and I want you to go sometimes beyond that. And he talks about being a witness in that region. Then he says, I also want you to be a witness in Samaria, which is another region beyond Judea. He says, I want you to be a witness there. And so he, he broadens the circle and says, it goes a little beyond that. And then what's the next thing? He says, I want you to be a witness even to the ends of the earth. But here's the principle I want you to notice today. There's a lot of things we could talk about just from that geography lesson. But here's the principle I want you to notice today. Do you notice that being a light starts close to home? When he starts his description, he says, the first place I want you to think about is right in your city. And you can't get any closer to home than your neighborhood. I think God wants you to be concerned about the eternal destiny of those people who live right around you, of your neighbors. 
I uh, stumbled across this article and something else I was reading. I don't read a good housekeeping, I promise you. Don't. Not, you know, like not even in the bathroom. Not if I've read everything else do I read good housekeeping. But I did stumble across this. Uh, it's a list of the things that people notice when they come to your house. Top five things. They did this study survey kind of thing. And the, the first five things that people notice when they come to your house. Listen to these ladies. You'll not be happy about these things. First, they notice the pile of mail, if there is one. Secondly, they notice dust bunnies and cobwebs. Third, they notice a messy bathroom. Fourth, they notice dishes in the sink. And fifth, they notice if the trash can is overflowing. So just go home and look around a little bit and think about when somebody comes to your house, those are the things they're noticing. But here's my question, more importantly than that goofy list. What do your neighbors notice about you? What do your neighbors notice about you? In fact, be honest. Do your neighbors know your name? Do your neighbors know that you care about them? Do your neighbors have any idea that they could trust you? Do your neighbors have any sense that if they needed help, they could come knock on your door? If your neighbors don't know those kinds of things about you, then it's probably going to be pretty difficult to really be a light to them, isn't it? So I want to spend a few minutes today exploring a couple of stories that Jesus told about lost things. And I think in these couple of stories, there are some principles that we could apply that might help us to do a little bit better at being a light to those people who live right around us, where God has planted us. So I hope you brought your Bibles today, and why don't you take them out and uh, open to Luke chapter uh, 15. Luke chapter 15, and we're going to spend a few minutes here studying some verses here. If you're looking for that in your Bible, it's uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then the book of John in the New Testament part of your Bible. And I want to challenge you, uh, this week, why don't you mark where this is in your Bible or if you're on your uh, smartphone or iPad, um, and go back in a few times this week, take a few minutes, sit down and read all of Luke 15. And see if God doesn't speak some things into your heart as you read through that about how He wants you to be a light to people around you. Well, let's jump in. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. It kind of, the first two verses here give us a, a setting to kind of picture what Jesus is doing here. He's been teaching people for a while now. And verse 1 says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. So closest to him, people that were really tuned in and listening to him were were sinners, people who were far from God. Verse 2, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now here's what's happening. There are a bunch of people who are far from God, sinners, who are gathered up closely, listening intently to what Jesus is teaching, and gathering over on the side, kind of, are the religious leaders, the religious types. And they're having their own little gathering over on the side, and as they gather on the side, they look over at Jesus, surrounded by all these sinners, and they sort of whine and complain to each other. What's Jesus doing with people like that? Now, Jesus tells two, really three stories here. We're going to focus on two of them. He tells two stories. They're for the benefit of those who have gathered closely to hear them, but they are also told for the benefit of this religious crowd of people who have gathered along the sidelines. And Jesus wants them to hear the message of His story that He tells for all of them to hear. And here's the first two stories He tells. Verse 3, Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. 
Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And then this last part is especially for the ears of the religious leaders who are standing to the side. He says, I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who does not need to repent. Then he launches right into another story to make sure everybody gets the point. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. And again and again, he wraps this story, the second story up, with some words for the religious types. He says, In the same way, I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now let's focus in to begin with, though, on the story that he tells about the shepherd and the lost sheep. It it is quite possible that this shepherd that he's talking about might have been a, a communal shepherd. In other words, he was from a, a small village of people and each person in the village maybe owned just a handful of sheep. And so he, as their, the shepherd, would gather together the flocks of several different people and he would lead this small flock of sheep out during the day to scavenger for food. And they would spend the hot the day out in that hot sun watching over those sheep and then he would lead them back in in the evening and he would count them to make sure that he accounted for every person's sheep. But on this particular time, as he counts through them, he realizes there is one missing. Now, you know what this shepherd wanted to do at the end of a long, hot, tiring day? <laughs> he wanted to go home to a warm meal, prop his feet up, watch the kids play. Get those smelly clothes off. Just sit there and relax with the family. That's what would have been comfortable. But do you know what this shepherd does? He does what is uncomfortable. He doesn't go home for a warm dinner. He heads back out into the darkness of the night to search for the one lamb that is missing. He leaves what is comfortable to go do what is uncomfortable. And I think that's the first lesson for us when it comes to being a light in our neighborhood. If we're trying to light up our neighborhood, we often have to leave what is comfortable to go do what seems uncomfortable. You know what's comfortable for us in America, in Cape Coral? We drive home to our house. Maybe we pull into the garage or we park in the driveway. We go into our house where the doors are closed and the blinds are drawn. And we enjoy uh, dinner together and we prop our feet up in front of the TV and we relax for the evening. That's comfortable for us. Or, like a lot of families here probably, you you drive home in the evening, you pull in the driveway, you go into the same house where the doors are closed and the blinds are drawn and you eat as quickly as you possibly can and you run back out to kids' activities or to meetings or to whatever's going on. And you're comfortable with that. You know what seems uncomfortable to us? To actually get out into our neighborhood. And to spend some time walking around, getting to know our neighbors, maybe inviting them into your home for dinner, walking around your neighborhood praying for your neighbors. For a lot of us at least, that seems kind of uncomfortable. And so we just keep doing what is comfortable and we ignore what seems uncomfortable to us. I don't know if this is a real story or not, but I heard about the manager of a, um, of a, a cinema movie theater 
And uh, he was interviewing a young man who wanted a job as an usher one day. And he said to the usher, now, what would you do if there was a fire? And immediately the young man shot back, don't worry about me. I can take care of myself. You know, not exactly the mentality that an usher should be have. He should maybe think, well, what about all of the people? But you know what? I think sometimes that's exactly our mentality when it comes to the people in our neighborhood. When Jesus comes back again, we think, well, I'm not worried. I'm ready to go. I can't wait to see Jesus. Have you ever stopped to think that maybe God is counting on you to be the usher of your neighborhood who would usher several of your neighbors into eternity with you in heaven? But for that to happen, we've got to at times be willing to leave what is comfortable to us and do what seems a little uncomfortable. Here's the second lesson, very closely related. He took a risk to retrieve what was lost. This shepherd goes back out into the dark night. The terrain where he was probably taking these sheep to scavenger for food was probably difficult. Good chance there were wild animals out there at night. And at the risk of his own personal safety, he ventures back out into the darkness to find the one sheep that is missing. Because his burden for that which was lost was greater than his fear of the risk. Let me give you a hypothetical situation. Suppose uh, in a little while here when we finish up and then we start the teardown process and just maybe as we're getting everything loaded back on the truck and out in the trailer, somebody uh, on our staff comes to me and says, man, Jeff, I, I think I lost my keys somewhere in the auditorium. Can you help me look for them? And you know what? Because I care about the people on our staff, absolutely, I would look for those keys. I mean, I would look for a little while. But then there would come this point, because they're not my keys, there would come this point where I'd begin to think, you know, I think they're just lost. I'm not responsible for those keys. But how differently, and it's true for all of us, isn't it? How differently if they are my keys. If I get to the end of the day today and I think, oh, where are my keys? I I must have lost them. I'm going to search with a lot more energy, a greater passion, a greater sense of responsibility because they're my keys. I have a greater burden to find them. And I think for far too long, a lot of us have seen our neighbors as somebody else's responsibility. We don't have any sense of personal burden for them. We view our neighbors as someone else's lost thing instead of something that is valuable that we ought to be concerned about. But here's the thing. God, God loves them. God created them. God sent His Son to die on the cross for your neighbors. They are God's lost things. And God has placed some of the personal burden and some of the responsibility for those who are lost who live around your house. He's placed that on your shoulders for you to do what you can at least. To be a light to them. You've got to value what's lost. And you've got to be willing to take the risk. Now, I know. I know what the risks are. And trust me, Peg and I at our house struggle with these risks just like you do. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you. This is not something that I'm teaching about that, boy, I've got this all together and I'm really good at this. No. I'm, as, I'm very burdened by this. Peg and I, while we were on vacation this summer, talked about the fact that we haven't done a really good job of reaching out and being a light to the people who live right around us. We have some other spheres of influence in our lives where, you know, having some influence and leveraging my relationships to point people to Christ. But when it comes to to my neighborhood, I haven't done very good. 
And part of it is because of these things that we have to risk. Because you know what? If, if we're going to be a light in our neighborhood, we have, we have to risk, don't we, personal rejection and some embarrassment. We might have to risk an investment of time. We have to risk the fact that it may complicate our life a little bit. We may have to risk the fact that we have to invest a little bit of our money in, in reaching out to them. And those risks to us, they seem, they seem big at times. And our problem is, as long as we see those neighbors as somebody else's responsibility, then the risk just seems too great, doesn't it? But when we understand that God has put some of that responsibility on my shoulders, then I have to begin to ask the question, which risk is greater? The risk of me having some personal inconvenience or the risk of their eternal destiny? Boy, it doesn't take long to weigh that out, does it? to quickly realize that shouldn't I be willing to risk a little bit of personal inconvenience for the sake of someone else's eternal destiny? But I have to value them enough to be willing to take that risk. Let me, uh, almost a little side road here, but I think it's important. Uh, You know, at Crosspoint, we have tried to do a few things and to uh, do them really well. And part of the reason we've tried to focus on doing just a few things and to try to do them really well is that... We want people who consider Crosspoint their church to be committed basically to, to three blocks of time every week. We basically have said that uh, if you consider Crosspoint your church, the first block of time that we'd ask you to commit to is a couple of hours on Sunday. That's uh, one of those hours you'd be like in this room together and uh, worshiping because our, our hearts and our souls need that. And then also on Sunday mornings that people who call this their church would be committed to serving one hour, whether that's serving an hour during setup or teardown or during one of our worship times in Kid Point or guest services, but you'd find a place to serve. And so the first block of time we'd ask people to commit to is, is a couple of hours on Sunday. The second block of time we'd ask people to commit to is life groups. Because we understand the value of people being connected in smaller groups of people where they can really do life together. And as Shelley announced this morning, next week we start rolling out the, the fall semester. And if you're not plugged into a life group, if you haven't been, you need to find one and be connected that way. Because if you're going to be part of our church, it's really significant to us that you commit to that block of time. The third block of time is, is uh, some um, combination of serving our community and or being involved in some kind of uh, you know mid or during the week type ministry. So maybe, for instance, you're involved in our student ministry in some way or you're out doing some things. Um, in our community, but in some way, you, you might commit a, a block of time, weekly or occasionally, uh, to serve outside of that. And why have we tried to keep it that simple and really focus in? Because from before we ever began at Crosspoint, we wanted to create an environment and a place where people would not be so busy doing church things that they were never home so that they could never be an impact in their neighborhood. From our very beginning, we wanted to keep things simple enough here so that people at Crosspoint would actually be home occasionally and actually be in their neighborhood so they'd have an opportunity to build relationships and to actually be a light to the people that God has planted right around them. Here's the third lesson, closely related again. The shepherd and the woman valued what was lost. They valued what was lost. And in the case of the woman who lost the coin, she valued it so much that she went on this frantic search in her house. Now understand, when it says that she had to light a lamp, it tells us it was dark. And there was no ambient street light 
flooding into her house to help her find it. It was really dark. And she didn't have one of those fancy lanterns like we take camping today, you know, that lights up everything. Well, we're talking she probably had a simple, more candlelight type thing that gave dim light. And in that dim light, she takes her broom and she sweeps those dirt floors a little bit at a time, searching every inch of her house, trying to find the coin that was lost. Because it was of incredible value to her. How much do you value the people who live right around you? Do you value them enough to, to actually do something about it? Let me try to be really practical for a couple of minutes and just suggest some very, I hope, practical things that you could begin to do to be a light in your neighborhood. First thing I'd suggest, the starting place, is just to begin to, to pray for your neighbor. In fact, let me suggest something that you can do that not only will be good spiritually for you, it'll be good physically for you. Get out and walk in your neighborhood and pray as you walk. For the neighbors that you do know their names, pray for them by name. For the neighbors that you haven't yet met, just pray as you walk by their house. And ask God to give you the opportunity to get to know them. But start by taking some time. Do it every week. Just walk around your neighborhood, parts of your neighborhood, and pray for the people in those houses. The second thing I'd suggest is a principle that Lee Strobel talks about in his book, Becoming a Contagious Christian. He says you ought to barbecue first. And here's what he means by that. Your first encounter with somebody isn't to run over to their house with your 20-pound Bible and thump it down on their... uh, their table, you know, in the living room and say, you know, you better repent tonight or you're going to go to hell. I'm telling you, I just will encourage you. I don't think that'll work in most cases. The only thing that really will happen is they'll throw you out of their house, slam the door in your face and tell you never to come back on their property again. No, here's what you need to do first. The first thing is just get to know them. Build a relationship. Start with some conversations across the backyard fence or out in the front driveway. And then maybe move to the next step of inviting them to come to your home for dinner. It's one of the things that Peg and I have tried to do since we got back from vacation. We've got uh, some neighbors that live just, we're on a corner, so they live just across the street from us. And uh, we haven't connected on a date that works yet, but we've tried two or three times now. We're going to get it eventually, uh, you know, to have them come over for dinner. Just to get to know them. Begin to build that relationship. But look for some ways that you could begin to, to build that relationship with them. Here's another important principle. This is more of a principle than an action. You've got to accept them the way they are. You know, and I guarantee you there are some people that live in your neighborhood and their lifestyle, the choices they make, may be very different from the kinds of choices that you make about life. But you know what? God still loves them. And God accepts them the way they are. He wants to transform them and change their life, but He accepts them just the way they are today. And if you're going to be a light in your neighborhood with some of your neighbors, you've got to learn to have the heart of God that accepts them just the way they are today so that eventually the transforming power of, work could, the transforming power of God could go to work on their life. Here's another thing that we'd encourage you to do, something we're going to roll out in a couple of weeks, a way that we're going to try to help you. And uh, we're going to encourage people at Crosspoint all across our city to throw later in October a... Feed your city party. And here's what we're going to be asking you to do. To uh, invite people in your neighborhood, basically to come to a little block party, 
And uh, sort of the caveat to them is to say, hey, uh, we're having a party. We want you to bring some canned goods. We're going to try to feed hungry people in our city. Uh, would you come over on this time and uh, bring those canned goods? And we're just going to have a neighborhood gathering, get to meet some other neighbors. And we're going to give you invitation cards and some posters and uh, kind of an outline about here's the steps you take to make this happen. And uh, I'm hoping that at, at a minimum across our city, Crosspoint people will have 50 Feed Our City parties in a week's time during October. And so as I said, in a couple of weeks, we're going to roll all that out and we'll have packets for you and a chance for you to sign up to be part of that. And uh, I encourage you, it'll be a great way, a very simple way for you to sort of start to build that bridge with some relationships with your neighbors. A couple more things. Uh, one that's not on the list on the screen here that I thought of after that. When it comes to being a light to your neighbors, as you get to know them after you've had those conversations, maybe you've had them over for dinner, Start looking for opportunities to talk about spiritual things. Now, again, I'm not saying, you know, have them over, open your Bible, and let's read 16 chapters of the book of Romans. I'm just saying as you're having conversations with them, talk about the power of God that is at work in your life. Talk about the difference that Jesus makes to you. Talk about the way that He makes a difference in your life. Last thing, in terms of practical ideas. Realize that you get to partner with Crosspoint. You know, we try to work really hard around here to create an environment where you could invite your friends, people you know, to a place where they will feel welcomed and comfortable and they'll understand what's going on. And so as you build that relationship, after you've maybe had some of those conversations, a next step that you can always do is just to say, hey, why don't you, why don't you come to my church? It's a whole lot different maybe than the kind of church you grew up with. Why don't you come see what it's like? And uh, as they come... They'll have the chance to hear the story of Jesus. But you've got to value your neighbor enough to start, start taking these steps. One more lesson. In every one of these stories, retrieval results in rejoicing. Retrieval results in rejoicing. Listen again to verse 10. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. It was a warm summer evening in northern Ohio, July of 1976, when I finally gave my heart to Jesus Christ and decided that I was going to follow Him for the rest of my life. And I was baptized, immersed in water. And you know what happened after I came up out of that water in heaven? This incredible, huge, cosmic, all-out party celebration broke loose. And I was, in a sense, the guest of honor. They were celebrating the fact that Jeff Swearingen had given his life to Jesus Christ. And you know what? The same thing happened for a lot of people, a lot of you in this room. There was a moment in time where you stepped across the line of faith. You gave your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. And you know what happened the moment that you gave your heart to Jesus? A cosmic all-out celebration broke loose in heaven because you had come to know Jesus. Now there are some of you in this room today that heaven is still waiting to throw your party. Heaven's still waiting for you to get to that moment where you say, I'm ready to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. I want Him to be the leader of my life. And when you do, in that moment, an all-out party will break loose in heaven. And you know what? Today could be the day. Today could be the day you decide, I'm going to step across the line of faith. I'm going to trust Jesus. I want my sins to be forgiven. I need God's grace. In fact, today is going to be that day. You know, when we wrap up, I'll be right down here in the front. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you and point you to Jesus. I'd love for heaven to break out a celebration over you. And here's what I want you to do. Think about this with me. 
In fact, maybe you want to close your eyes and just really picture this. I want you to picture one of your neighbors. I mean, even if you don't know them, at least you've seen them drive by, right? So you know what at least one of them looks like, right? Please, I hope. So uh, I want you to just picture one of those neighbors. I want you to imagine what it would feel like in your life and in theirs. If you were to begin to work at shining your light into their life and you were to point them to Jesus and there were to come a moment in their life when they step across the line of faith and they welcome Jesus into their heart and all of heaven breaks out in a cosmic celebration because they they have come to know Jesus. Think, think of the joy that would fill your heart at that moment if you knew that you had gotten to be just even a small part and pointing them to Jesus. Friends, God wants us to be a light where He has planted us. And whether we like where we live or not, at least for right now, where you live is where God has planted you and He is counting on you to be a light to those around you. I think God takes this very, very seriously because God takes very, very seriously the eternal destiny of your neighbor. And He's counting on you to do what you can. I'm pretty sure it was when I was a senior in college. I had had just a horrible week. Partly because of some bad choices that I had made. And partly just because of life's circumstances. And it was just one of those weeks that as you get towards the end of it, you just feel, you just feel beat up. And I remember calling home. And honestly, I don't remember exactly how the conversation went, but the gist of it was, you know, Mom, it's just been a horrible week and I just feel beat up and I just feel terrible. And I don't know if these words were actually spoken in that conversation, but again, the gist of the conversation was, just come home. Just come home. You know what? That's exactly what I needed. Just to go home for the weekend to a place where I was unconditionally loved so that my heart and spirit could be restored. You know what, this morning, I don't care how beat up you feel after this last week. I don't care how many bad choices you have made along the way. There is a Father in Heaven who would say to you, right now, no matter how bad you feel, He'd say, you know what, just come home. Just come home. Just come back to Me. Because I love you. And I promise you this morning, there are people who live right around you whose lives are a mess. And they feel beat up. They feel like failures. They struggle every day just to make ends meet. And they desperately need to know that there is a Father in Heaven who would say to them in the same way today, just come home. Just come home. And God is counting on you, maybe to be the one that He uses as His voice to speak those words into your neighbor's life. Do you value them enough? Let's pray together. God, this uh, I am burdened by this. And God, honestly, I, I stand here this morning and uh, openly admit and confess and repent that I, I have not done very good at being a light in my own neighborhood. So God, forgive me. Father, help me to do better. 
And God, I'm guessing that there are a lot of other people in this room who would pray that exact same prayer. And I ask you to be their strength. God, help us all to see that you have placed on us a responsibility to at least try to be a light. God, I know we can't control how our neighbors respond, but we can control whether or not we at least make the attempt to shine the light of Jesus into their lives. So God, help us. Help us to be your light in the neighborhoods where you have planted us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.